Good morning. I think it'd be appropriate to have a time of silence. About 24 hours ago, a group of people in Pittsburgh were just uh, going to have prayer time around 945. Um, they believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They were going to their synagogue. And uh, someone walked in, and just because they had a certain belief, uh, someone started killing them. So if you would pray for their family, pray for uh, uh, that community, law enforcement who responded, uh, some were shot, so pray for their family. Let's have a time of silence for that, uh, that community and uh, law enforcement and for the, the family members, the family that lost family members. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. Exodus chapter 14, 13 and 14 says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You, will, you only need to be still. Today, we're talking about uh, there are no dead ends in God's kingdom. How many of you live on a dead end street? Does anyone live on a dead end street? Oh, okay, dead end street. In God's kingdom, if there was a, a map that was laid out, there are no dead ends. There are no dead end streets. Our objective today is to learn or maybe to reestablish if you already know that there are no dead ends in God's kingdom. Have you ever watched a movie or a TV show and there's a scene, a dramatic chase. The bad guys or guys or girls are chasing the good girl guys or girls, and chase takes them through the streets and side alleyways, and then finally they're cornered because they're at a dead end. Eventually, there's no place to go. There's no way out. The alley ends. He or she is trapped. And sometimes that's how people, possibly you or I, feel or have felt at some point during this life. We lie awake at night, worried, ruminating about health problem, a financial issue, a relationship problem, maybe a family situation. We try to solve the entire issue right then in our mind. If there's a way out, we just don't see it. We think there's no solution. We feel like the walls are closing in and we believe that we're trapped by our issues, our circumstances, our problems. We believe that we have arrived at a dead end. The stress is powerful, causing us to get weary tired emotionally, physically, spiritually. Then we ask ourselves these questions. What are we going to do? How will this work out? If only I could have, or maybe I should have, or we should have, or they should have. We try to count sheep to fall asleep, but we're already counting all the possibilities of how things could go bad. We may begin to believe that it's hopeless, that things will never change, that this is the way it will be forever, and this is definitely a dead end. And those are definitely lies of the evil one. John states that he is a liar. He's been a liar from the very beginning. It is not hopeless. With God, there are no dead ends. Each situation that we go through is an opportunity to allow God to work within our lives and lead us to something else. 
There are no dead-end marriages. There are no dead-end churches. There are no dead-end situations that we are in. No dead-end relationships. We turn in our Bible to Exodus chapter 14. We look at the Israelites, the people of God, and we see that they apparently were in a dead-end situation. They thought so. The Israelites seemed to think that they were, they were at a dead end. And we want to learn from what God has to teach us today by looking at this entire chapter. And this is called the Exodus. Uh, it's a familiar story, but I want to look at it in a different perspective. The definition of Exodus, you look at Webster, it's a mass departure of people from one place to another. But if you look at the Hebrew and the Greek word, it means, and the Greek being from the Septuagint, it's a military expedition. I didn't know if you knew that. We still have, to this day, uh, remnants of the word exodus. You're going to look over here, you're going to look over there, you're going to look here, and the word exit is from the word exodus. Now, we're going to make a mass departure here in a few minutes when I'm done, and we're not, it's not a military expedition. We're not going anywhere to fight. We're going to make a mass departure, and that's basically what the word means. But it also, in Hebrew and Greek, it takes it even farther. Here's what it means. A solemn procession, a departure, a death. That which is going out, a path, a road, leading to something else. Every exit leads to an entrance. did a funeral this past week of my brother's uh, mother-in-law. And even death itself is not a dead end. It's an entrance into something else. Many people fear it because it's the unknown, but it's leading into something else. Those who people who believe that it's just the end, now that is hopeless. That is having no hope, but it's a way out. Uh, And another term, another definition means to become weak as a conscious decision. That's what the word actually means in the Hebrew and the Greek. So I propose to you that this financial crisis that you're in is not a dead end. This class in school that you're in is not a dead end. This circumstance at work is not a dead end. This health crisis that you're in is not a dead end. They are all opportunities to allow God to bring glory to his name. He will make a way, and it will be for his glory, if we allow him to. Now, we could go all self-centered, And forget our purpose and start living a pattern of missing the mark that does not bring glory to his name. Then we, through our own stubbornness, will take a different road and will miss out, as we often do, on the opportunities God will use to bring glory to his name, as the Israelites often did in the wilderness. But here, they obey. After they grumble a little bit, let's turn to Exodus chapter 14 in your Bibles, and we're going to see this, the Exodus, and really this is the crossing of the Red Sea. They've already exited uh, from the Egyptian captivity and slavery, and now they are up against it. They are at a dead end, they believe, and they don't know what to do. So Moses, this is Moses' answer in verses 13 and 14. These are great verses from a great leader. Let me read those verses again. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. 
I can't imagine speaking to over a million people, probably a million and a half people. Those people have just grumbled and complained. Why have you brought us out here to die? You know, they're out there. And here's the situation. They see the Egyptian army because Pharaoh, Pharaoh believes he's like, every, you know, they've gone through the 10 plagues. You remember the 10 plagues? They've gone through even the death of the firstborn. And uh, they realize, the Egyptians realize our economy has going to collapse without these slaves, these over a million slaves, because that's a million was accounting just the men, so not the women and the children. They did all the work. So guess what? In our society, if we got rid of all the people that did all the work, (laughs) the people who actually were the ones who created the economy, what would happen? We look around, there'd be no more builders. There'd be no more people who actually had the structure, the building of the roads, the things that, you would have, all the necessities would be gone. You know, we wouldn't be able to survive. So the Egyptians come to the realization, all the Egyptians were upper crust. They had everything done for them. So Pharaoh and his people and his leaders realize, uh-oh, we got to take our armies, and he chooses the best of the best. Let's go through it. Exodus 14.1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahirath. Now, see, the Lord tells the Israelites to camp specifically. Now, if you look at a map, this is, a, this is between the mountains and the sea, uh, the, the Red Sea that they're going to cross. It's between the desert is up ahead, you have the mountains, you have the Red Sea, and behind them, we're going to see what happens. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahirath between Migdal and the sea, and they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baals of food. And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's hearts, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and and his officials changed their minds, as they often did, about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we have lost their services. See right there. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots. Now, these chariots were fighting chariots. They were concaved and they had a fighter on each side and they had a driver and they were ready to do battle with the officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Israelites marching out, they're free. They're finally free from uh, Egyptian slavery, captivity. And then this army is coming after him. And the Israelites weren't ready to fight. This mass departure was a solemn procession. They were free. They were happy. You know, they were uh, more than solemn. They were joyful because they had spent so many years, over 400 years in captivity. But Pharaoh was coming to destroy. They had an army. It was going to be a slaughter. So that's what's behind them. So we have the mountains. We have the desert up ahead. We have the sea. And we have the army coming from behind. Dead end, right? Looks like a dead end to me. And in fact, he tells them to go exactly to this place between Migdal, the sea, to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baals of food. Why there? Well, there's always a purpose. There's always a purpose with God. He wanted them there for this reason. Baals of food was a place where they worshipped a false god named Baal. And he, God is setting it up 
so that all the cultures from this day forth and for future generations even today will see that God is the true God. That's what was going to happen here in a few minutes uh, as we see. Well, we look down at verse 8. Then the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Verse 9, the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them. Now, you know, sometimes we get on the Israelites because we think, man, they were so weak. We're the same way. We're the same way. We receive victory after victory after victory. And then what do we do when it comes to something that's happening within our life, a crisis, a uh, financial crisis, a health crisis, a relationship crisis, or coming up on retirement, or we're coming through this, or we're coming through that? What do we do? We doubt God. We do the same thing the Israelites do, did. But here's what, all these things are chased them. The Israelites, the Her- all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, horsemen, troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hirith, opposite Baal-Zephun. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it, <laughs> was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out, us, brought us to the desert to die? Were there no cemeteries in Egypt? Did we not have any tombstones there? I mean, come on. We're going to die out here? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? They didn't say that. But out there, that's what they're saying. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Then Moses answered the people. I want to say it again. Because this is what a great leader does. Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. How many times have you heard that in the Bible? When the angel appeared to Mary, he said what? Fear not. Again and again and again. Because when heaven comes down, when a leader receives from God, that's the first thing they should tell their people. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And that's what Moses tells the people. That's a lot of people grumbling. Wouldn't it have been better for us to die? (laughs) No. But this geography, I think, is important. Uh, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I went out to visit a lady um, who I had met a while ago, and she's in her 40s, late 40s, and she has something called ALS. I don't know if you know what that is, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and, and it's a very, very difficult disease. And uh, she's about three years in, prognosis of about five years, and uh, she said something as we were talking, and she said, um, she said, uh, I never say why me, but I'm saying why this. Because it's one of the most devastating diseases there is. It takes your muscles all the way down to your throat muscles where you can't speak, you can't swallow, you can't breathe, and then you die. And uh, I've only personally known a couple other people with this, and uh, it is very difficult. But she said, why this? She has nine grandkids. Uh, She would like to have to see them go up. Um, and it was the exact same statement made to me earlier by someone else, a man by the name of Chris. He said the exact same thing. Not why me, but why this particular thing? Well, I know that later on, the answer to that question was, it was the only thing he told me, the only thing Chris told me, the only, it was the only thing that would have made him Sit still and listen. And I was like, okay. So I used that, and I told her, 
some things, and we talked about what ministry she could have there, what she could be doing, the ministry of prayer, the ministry of, of uh, sitting still, which is a tough ministry. That's a tough ministry, but it is a ministry uh, of, of thinking and praying uh, for the people that are around you. Well, that's one of the answers that uh, Moses receives. Um, God directs them to this spot. God didn't make a tactical error. He purposely gave them this course. He purposely did this. He didn't, he, he didn't make an error. He never makes errors. He never makes mistakes. This dead end, quote unquote, was God's design. It was no fluke, no accident. It wasn't bad luck. It wasn't a tactical error. God had planned for this. God has not made an error in leading you wherever you are. If you belong to him, there's no mistake that you can make that God is not allowed as a part of his purposes in your life. He wants to glorify himself through whatever you're going through. He is a king over all the pieces, all the players in your life. And this blank you will never see again, whatever it is, ALS, multiple myeloma, financial situation, um, you know, whatever it is, death itself. First Corinthians 15 says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you'll never see it again when we go through death because death means separation. So these scriptures, these scriptures, I just have three quick points and they're pretty simple. The Israelites went through three stages of growth through Exodus 14. The first thing they did is panic. When we come up on a situation within our life that we think is a dead end, the first thing we do is panic. That's what they did. The second thing they did was obey. They had obedience. They obeyed. Uh, and uh, the last thing they did, the uh, Israelites, the last thing they did is they had praise and glory. And that's in Exodus chapter 15. The praise and glory comes, you can read that in Exodus chapter 15. It's a beautiful song uh, by Miriam, Moses' sister. And it's a praise of, of, by Moses, too, uh, of, of how God delivered them through the crossing of the Red Sea. That's what Exodus 15 is all about. It, it's the entire chapter. Uh, but these are the three stages of growth. And I want you to assess, and I want me to assess as I speak about this, is... Where are you in this, within your life? Where, which stage of growth are you? Because the Israelites right now, as we're reading, they were in panic mode. And it's okay to be in panic mode at first, but you can't stay there. You cannot stay there. You have to move on. Um, another sermon would have been pretty simple uh, that I, I thought about was uh, God's job versus our job. You know, just from verses 13 and 14. God's job is pretty simple. It's laid out. God's job, he's going to work for us. He's going to fight for us. Our job is just to do not fear, stand firm, see the salvation, and to be still. You know, you can use that somewhere along the line in your devotions or something. But the one I want to go with today is what were the three stages of growth by the Israelites? Fear and panic, obedience, and then praise and glory. So first, let's talk about fear and panic. Verses, 
chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. To paraphrase, this is what they say. Thanks a lot, Mr. Moses. We told you so. You would listen. Let my people go. You kept saying that. You had to have your way. Now we're all going to die. And we don't even have any place to bury our, our families. You know, way to go, Mr. Leader. God had used the, him to lead them to freedom. And now they're questioning his ability to hear from God. Yeah, they're just throwing it at him. Uh, but God had seasoned him for such a time as this. He was ready, wasn't he? So he was ready. So first thing he says is fear not. Same thing the angel said to the Virgin Mary when she learned that she was with child. The same thing Jesus said to his disciples in their little boat in the midst of a great storm, remember? The same thing the angel said to Mary Magdalene when she was baffled at Jesus' body missing from the tomb. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. God is saying that to us. You may not understand your circumstances. You may not understand your dead end. God is saying, don't worry. Don't fear. I'm still in control. He's saying that about our world today. Why would someone in their, obviously he's not in their right mind, walk into a house of prayer at 9.45 in the morning and begin shooting? We don't understand it. It's just no comprehension. The things that happen at the jail that I deal with every day. Man stabbed himself 42 times in the neck the other day, and I took him to the hospital and had to secure him with his arm, his two legs. Why would he do that? Well, he was on meth, and he was on some other drugs. It's an explanation, but there's... Why would he do that? That makes no sense. And he didn't feel it and didn't remember any of it until the next day when he said, what's wrong with my neck? I said, what's wrong with your neck? You don't remember anything you've done? He goes, no. I said, your neck is gaped open, man. I said, you don't remember anything. Why? But God is still in control. It's, it's sometimes hard to see in this world, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. But God says to his people, fear not. Fear not. I am in control. Listen, that verse do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance. That word deliverance means salvation. The Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. That was a pretty real threat. They looked in their rearview mirror. Obviously, they didn't have rearview mirrors, but they looked in their rearview mirror. It, you think about that. They were facing slaughter. They had nowhere to go. They couldn't climb a mountain. They couldn't go in the wilderness. They thought they couldn't go in the Red Sea. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't have boats. What were they going to do? And we often are the same way. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Fear not. God has a plan. A little boy had a line, one line to deliver in the church play. His knees were knocking backstage. He was so nervous to be in front of the crowds. He just had to walk out and say, it is I, be not afraid. That was his only line. It is I, be not afraid. He walked out, saw the big crowd, the lights were on him, and he forgot his line. So here's what he said. He said, it's me, and I'm scared. <laughs> you know, whether we're the little boy or we have ALS or whether we're in a financial situation, fear is when we can't see God through our circumstances. Faith is when we see our, our circumstances, but we see him through God. That's the difference. That's the only difference. Fear is when we can't see God through our circumstances. Faith is when we see our circumstances through God. That's the only difference. That's it. The world doesn't see it. 
The world stays in that stage of panic. The Bible says we can be troubled on all sides but not perplexed. They look left, they look right, they look front, they look back, there is no way out. Geographically, mountains to the left, desert to the right, water their backs. They were Egyptian warriors to the only side, which remained the king. Hey, the king himself was coming out, the pharaoh, in his war chariot. 600 chariots, the best of the best, plus more chariots, horsemen, chariots, more, horse, more horsemen, more chariots. But there was one direction they forgot to look, wasn't it? They looked this way, they looked that way, they looked this way. But where did they forget to look? Ah, there you go. I gave you that hint, though. I gave you that hint. That's why you got it. They looked up, yeah. They did not look up. They did not look up. They forgot that if they just looked up. But Moses knew, the leader knew, the leader knew where to direct them. The leader knew, didn't he? So, stand, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Watch God at work. That's what he tells them. That's what we need to do. That's a sermon in itself right there. That little, those little points. I mean, do not be afraid. Stand firm. You know what that stand firm means? It means to wait. Huh. As an American, I would think stand firm means hold my ground. I'm going to hold my ground. That's what I'm going to do. When someone tells me what to do, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to stand firm. You know? Uh, stay firm, but that's not what it means. In the Hebrew, it means to wait and be still. Wait until you receive direction from above. Huh. Boy, that's completely different than what I thought at first when I, I was studying this years ago. I was like, wait? As an American, waiting is not what I want to do. Our usual response in such a situation, my usual response, is try to do something. What can I do to change it? What can I do to fix this? What can I do? What did God tell them to do? Wait? In fact, he follows up with, you will see the salvation the Lord will bring you today, or the deliverance God will bring you today. The Lord will bring you today. Wait. Be still. You're going to see. Now, we know as we look back on it, what he did. What did he do? Moses raised his staff, and what, did, what happened? All these waters began peeling back. <laughs> and another miracle is they walked through on dry ground. I heard a preacher actually say that it wasn't dry ground. That it was actually mud and there was fish and there was all kinds. It doesn't say that. The Bible says dry ground and that's what the Hebrew word means. And in fact, it says it twice. The Hebrew word means dry ground. That's a miracle in itself. If you've ever seen the bottom of a sea or a bottom of water, it's all murky and sandy and at the bottom, but it's dry ground. These, this water just, and if you hear, think of the, the sound of water. You ever been to the ocean? You hear the roaring, roaring of the water. Think of the waters peeled back. There are some beautiful pictures in the Brooklyn Institute of Museum uh, by Hebrew people of the pictures of the crossing of the Red Sea and the waters being heaped up and just rolled back. And there being uh, living creatures still in the waters. And, you know, can you imagine those living creatures just peering in like, what? No, where there's people walking through our waters. I mean, just walking through. We're talking about a million and a half people. There's one picture that comes to mind. It's like a satellite image. Of course, there was no satellite back then, but of a satellite image of all the Israelite people funneling through, you know, just coming through. And of course, that's why God wanted them to not be afraid, stand firm, to wait, and to watch God at work. But they didn't know that. They didn't know that at the time, did they? They had no idea that that was going to happen. Just in the same way that you and I have no idea what God has in store for us. As we walk through our dead-end jobs, 
dead-end relationships. I say dead-end because there are no dead-ends. We want to do something. We want to help God out. We want to help ourselves. Just standing still is unthinkable in our society today. The most popular words in advertising are now, instant, immediate, brand new, fast. I was even driving home from my family's wife's family reunion about a month ago, and I saw one of those digital signs about the interstate, and I applauded it. Later, I realized I'd become a part of this society. I wanted everything now. Here's what it said. Uh, you know, it said, camp at a state park, not in the left lane, move over. <laughs> but it is a law not to just drive in the left lane unless you're passing. But I did have a poor attitude that I needed to be checked because I was like, get out of my way. I'm in a hurry. I got to get home. You know, I got to watch a game. <laughs> that was, I, I'd become part of society, you know. I was just in a hurry, not wanting to keep the law. You know, I was like, waiting for us is hard. But Isaiah 41 tells us, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. We need to be more like the guy who traveled with the circus. He's scooping up what the elephants left behind them. And someone said to him, Man, you ought to quit this job. It's the worst job in the world. And he replied, What? And leave show business? No way. <laughs> Uh, but the second thing we need to do is obey. We need to obey. You know, obedience is not easy for us either because, you know, I think some leaders, what they would do, instead of Moses just saying what God wanted him to say, they would say, hmm, I think we could build it. We could swim. We could climb the mountain. We could cross the desert. You know, they would come up with their own engineering plan. But God just tells them, tell Moses, you know how hard that would be to go to his people and say, just wait. You know how hard that would be? That'd be very difficult, would it not? A million and a half people grumbling at you, complaining to you, and you're going to go, God, you want me to go tell them to wait? That's what I, I would have done. You want me to go tell them to wait and watch you at work? Uh, okay. You know, no, that's not what Moses did. Boldly, he approached out there. He was not Mike. He walked out there and he said, now listen, this is what we're doing. He answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, wait, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians, you see today, you will never see again. What a promise there. You will never see again? They're like, yeah, right. I see him now. I see him with their swords. I see him with their spears. I see him with their armor. But then we look Later in the verse, and later in the chapter, and here it says, but the Israelites, chapter, verse 29, same chapter, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Lord, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses as his servant. They saw all that armor and all those spears and all those chariots washed up on the shore. He, they just obeyed. They didn't come up with their own plan. They didn't come up with their own plan at all. Really, what I, one of the verses that stands out is uh, when Moses goes again in verse 15. Look at verse 15. Moses, I don't know if, he's, if he paused or what he did, but this is what the Lord says to Moses. This is obedience. He tells him to obey, simply obey. Then the Lord says to Moses, 
Why are you crying out to me? <laughs> I love that. I've told you what to do. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they were going after him. I've already told you what's going to happen. Why are you crying out to me? Stop crying. Move on. Do what I say. Basically, that's obedience. Stop crying. Stop focusing on your dead end. Why are you crying out to me? Move on. Do what I say. That's powerful God. Do. Obey. And the last one is praise and glory. God gave them this cloud to lead them, to heat them. Then he moved that cloud between them and the Egyptians. It wasn't a compass, not a map, not a GPS, not an iCloud that gets full, you know, and we have to add more memory. He gave them a cloud, an actual cloud that sheltered them and guided, and guide, guided them. Nine-year-old Joey was asked by his mother what he had learned in Sunday school. And he said, Mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind the enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge, and all the people walked across safely. He used his walkie-talkie to radio headquarters and call in an airstrike. They sent bombers to blow up the bridge, and all the Israelites were saved. And his mom said, now, Joey, is that really what happened? Is that what your teacher taught you? And then Joey said, Mom, if I told you the way the teacher told, told it, you would never believe me. <laughs> Some people do try to explain this away. I even was reading this past week about theologians that try to explain this away, that they must have went through a certain spot in the Red Sea where it's very shallow, and they must have walked through about a foot of water. And I'm like, what? That's not what the Bible says. Why do we try to explain this away? Did it really happen? That's one of the captions on a website. Did it really happen? Events that really did not happen, but we are told that they happened. Just like Joey. <laughs> That's what they remind me of. Faith. Oh, it happened. It happened. All the way up to the drowning of the Egyptians. So, our dead ends can reveal God's power and inspire faith. As we step out in what seems to be a dead end, God wants to reveal his incredible power. But we can go all selfish, and we can go all do our own little detours. We can do, take God's glory away from him. That's our, our prerogative. That's the free will of man. We want to do that. It's up to you. It's up to me. He brings us to opportunities every day within our life. When we step out, we stay committed to God's work and our relationship. So where are you? There's a song. There's a song that is very important to me. And it's a song, I think you'd know this song. We used to sing it here a lot. He probably, I don't know if you still do. It's called God Will Make a Way. It's by Don Moen. And it says this, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. And it says, he will be my guide, hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. But there's another verse. I don't know if you know this verse. It says, by a roadway in the wilderness, he'll lead me. And rivers in the desert will I see. Heaven and earth will fade, but his word will still remain. And he will do something new today. Oh, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. Can you sing that verse? Do you know it? Anybody know it? 
I know you know this song. You ready? David, you start us out. God will make a way when there seems. Think about the Israelites. No way. Think about yourself. He works. We cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. Hold me closely to, with love and strength for each new day. With love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. So fear and panic, obedience, praise and glory is the last one. Where are we? As You go home and read the song of Moses and the song of Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites, the entire Israelites, sang this to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. That's just verse 1. You go home and read that. That's the praise. And that's where they were because that was their natural response after an event of deliverance. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, you lead us through we, what we call dead ends, but there are no dead ends in your kingdom. There are steps which lead us to our next thing, our next challenge, our next, even our next step in this life and even into eternal life. Even death itself has been conquered because of Jesus Christ. Thank you. There are no dead ends. Not with you. Wherever we're at in that progression of growth, may we move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dave's going to come, and if you have a decision today, maybe it's a decision to grow, maybe it's a decision to become a member of this church, maybe it's a decision to follow Jesus Christ for the very first time, then where you stand and where you come as Dave leads us.